This podcast provides a platform to discuss important questions and complex issues, challenge the status quo, and confront the boundaries of the establishment. I'm retired police chief Daniel Hahn. I went from being arrested at 16 to serving over 34 years in law enforcement. My goal is to keep you informed with news not being reported, voices not being heard, and the untold history of how we got here so that we can create a way forward. Welcome to another episode of A Way Forward. My special guest today is Gary Dumas. And, uh, you know, Gary, I always like to start out with um, letting people know a little bit about you. So I know you are, let me see, how should I say this? You're from that evil, <laughs> evil part of the country. Here we go. Where, where, where those, uh, you know, <laughs> Those evil Kansas City Chiefs reside, uh, arch enemy of the, uh, the good guy, Oakland, Duh. Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, so maybe uh, if you would uh, talk a little bit about your experiences growing up in Kansas City and the things in your childhood and young, younger life that led you to where you're at today, which we'll talk about in a minute. All right, sounds good. And so, yeah, we're going to completely bypass that intro. <laughs> <laughs> I have to put it in there. <laughs> hey, it's your show. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Kansas City, Missouri is, is, is where I'm from. That's where I was born and raised, uh, although I lived out, you know, on the West Coast a lot off and on throughout the years, but primarily Kansas City. I grew up in Wayne Minor Public Housing. Uh, whether it was Wayne Minor in Kansas City or anywhere else in the country, you know, public housing is public housing. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, it wasn't really, I guess because I was used to it, I lived there and that kind of thing. Um, so that had become my norm based on a lot of the things I've seen on a daily basis, you know, the fights and um, the violence and, I mean, you know, taxi, taxi drivers coming there to pick up clients and drop them off and some check in wouldn't check out and uh, a lot of domestic issues I think that was the thing that impacted my life the most going forward looking back on it uh, was just the domestic violence uh, that it occurred a lot and it you know domestic violence not just from the physical fighting aspect of it but right. a lot of the verbal confrontations and things of that nature and so that was part of my norm um, I didn't realize till years later, which we'll touch on, I'm sure, just there was traumatization in the making. Sure. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, so, I'm also curious, yeah. like a lot of times, especially when I was younger, like mm. going to junior college and we'd introduce ourselves at the beginning of the semester or something, all the students in class, uh, the teacher leading these introductions. And it seemed like every time people found out I was from Oak Park, which is a community here in Sacramento, um, people had this stereotype about Oak Park that, mm. like, I didn't recognize. Mm. Like, they're like, oh, my God, how'd you make it out? I'm like, make it out? One, I was still living there when I was in junior <laughs> college. But uh, I loved my neighborhood. Like, I had uh, all those things you just described were going on in the neighborhood, but I think they were just normalized for us. But, like, we had a blast growing up. So mm -hmm. I'm curious, was that your same experience? It was. Even though all this stuff is going on, what people on the outside think of the neighborhood is different than what people on the inside think of the uh, the neighborhood, despite all the trauma and everything. Yeah, I'm glad you alluded to that because that's exactly what I was thinking after I made that initial uh, opening about my experiences there. 
but wouldn't trade it for nothing in the world. Wouldn't trade it for nothing in the world. Uh, to us, that was our um, experiences with community. I mean, when you look at, when you think about, you know, a thousand people uh, doing the um, hustle, you know, back in the 70s, you know, I don't think the electric slide was out back then, but the hustle was big <laughs> back then. Uh, you know, I remember like yesterday, George Clinton, uh, uh, Tear the Roof Off the Sucker album, mm -hmm. the Mothership Connection, whatever it was named at the time. And man, he played that on loudspeakers and everybody would mount up yep. and, then, and then it would be on. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so yeah, have you been back nothing. to the neighborhood in the last, say, decade or so? And is, has it changed? Has it been gentrified or anything different, or is it still pretty much the same as when you... That's a good question. I hadn't been back in a while, only because of what I'm doing in the present. Mm -hmm. Takes me so many places and keeps me so engulfed in what I'm doing now. But at one time, I was going back often. Not only that, I was actually doing some programming there okay. at one time. They had a uh, community director over at the uh, what was called the office at that time, and that was just an environment where a lot of recreation and things like that had taken place. And so one of the, at the time, one of the community directors that I knew from years earlier knew what I was into in those days. I proposed, hey, why don't I come down and do some you know, presentations from time to time, some workshops. And, and so it just kind of faded away once you know, the staff changed and you got new people coming through and, and that kind of thing. So it just kind of phased out. But yeah, for a long time, I was actually going back down there doing some programming. And it was fulfilling. I mean, it's nothing as you can imagine going back home to the environment, right. you know, which you actually started from, you know, that gave you your motivation down the line to go back and, and impact, especially being that I was somebody that people knew, you know, right. something about right. people coming in, but then somebody that you know, right. you know, can attest to these things that they're now talking to you about. It has just some established credibility. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no question. So at some point you made it out to the West Coast. I know you've lived in a few different spots in California, and now you do a lot of work, uh, I guess, uh, generically I'll call it uh, personal development. Um, what, how did you get into, and why did you get into that, I guess, field of personal development? Kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that is a good question. And I usually start out by just presenting it this way, Chief. Uh, there was a season in my life where I just was in need. And when I say need, I'm not referring to material things, anything like that, but more emotional needs. And I looked everywhere and couldn't find it. Mm. You know, I went to different situations and, and edifice, you know, so to speak, in different places, and I couldn't find it, only to realize that the very things that I was needing is what I was called to give to other people. Okay. And it's like, how else will you know the need for it if you yourself hadn't had that need? And so that's when I realized the value of inspiration, encouragement, uh, the need to be believed in, the need to create opportunities for other people, uh, the need to establish appropriate rapport. Because for some people, you know, they just want to have a, a healthy conversation. Right. They just need to be validated that what they're thinking is, is not too far to the left and that they haven't completely lost their mind. <laughs> so right. I was that person, especially had, had battled alcohol and, and, and people laugh, you know, my drug of choice was white Zinfandel wine, <laughs> you know. But I tell you, that, that white wine took me on a, a ride for years that um, I don't wanna go back on. 
<laughs> and, and along those same lines, what was it that, you know, I, you know, I always hear from people in that line of work of uh, rehabilitation, all those sort of things that, that um, relapse and things is part of that process. And so it shouldn't be a shock if somebody, so I'm curious, uh, you mentioned you had, you were challenged with that. What, what are the factors that ultimately um, got you through that to the point where you're at now to where you don't have those daily, I imagine it's a lifelong thing, but that you don't have those same challenges now. What was it that got you through that? Was it organizations or what What exactly was that? Well, you, you know, there's a combination of things. You know, there's never any one thing or one antidote or one solution. Uh, there's a combination of things, but if there would be one out of the many, I would say a, a just driven just becoming passionate. And I think wanting to you get as far away. Yeah, yeah, for me, I had gotten to a place, Chief, I wanted to get so far mm. away from the person that I was. Mm. You know, and, and what, what caused that or what opened my eyes in that area? Exposure. Exposure. Coming to West Coast when I was 16, seeing the lifestyles, and then not necessarily the Beamer Benzes and Bentleys. In fact, I don't even know if those things even existed back then. Well, I'm sure they did. It just, right. I didn't see them right. <laughs> in my neighborhood. So exposure to what? But just exposure to another level of living, uh, you know, and exposure to new environments, uh, exposure to liberation, freedom, you know, people pursuing their dreams and living out their passions. And So you and wanted to do that too. I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to, to be a part of that. I wanted yeah. to be a part of that. <laughs> and so, but I knew that I couldn't engage and still wrestle with some of the things that I had been dealing with for the years prior. But fortunately, uh, that exposure had the capability to pull me out of some things, at least increase my drive to want to be better. So when you talk about personal development and the work that you do around uh, the area of personal development, like, what is that? Like, explain what you do and why you do it. Like, I know uh, you know, at times you talk about emotional fitness, maybe even substance use and other things, but when you talk about the work that you do in personal development, exactly what is that? So people know sure. like uh, some of the things you work on and why. And that's a good question. And I say that because a lot of times when we hear words and phrases that seem so basic that we just assume what we believe they are until we actually engage, right. it's like, man, there's more involved in this than I thought. Right, right. But personal development, just in short, is to engage in any type of programming that can allow you to have the drive to want to improve the quality of your life, okay. in short. And that could mean in any area. And that's why it's a very universal uh, engagement. It's not exclusive or specific to a, a particular type of individual with a certain type of problems or issues. Anybody that's human can relate to the personal development practices or would have a need it's kind of like uh, constantly getting CEUs, <laughs> I guess, if you will, you know, every what year. What do you mean by CEUs? The, the continued education oh, units. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, okay. you know, and, and you, 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 as you get those continued education units in education, be, regarding being a clinician or whatever you do as a professional, that ongoing training, so it is as a person, you want to continue to develop as time goes on, as time goes on. And not just so you can give out, but also so you can maintain so you can continue to be the you that you're striving to be. And I kind of compare it to as often as you need to get your car tuned up or put gas in your car. If you buy a brand new car fresh off the lot, 
it'll run good for a while, but eventually you got to tune it up. Mm. Eventually you got to go put gas in it, whatever. So it is with us as human beings. We have to get that continued education. We have to engage in things that allow us to continue to be strong as time goes on and continue to grow. Good way to put it. Yeah, and in whatever area we're pursued of. So in your work that you do in this area, do you do one-on-one -on -one or are these groups and and the, the people that you work with, how do they come to you? Like how, how, do, how does that connection for the tune-up get made? The first piece I'll answer is the individual. I do conduct individual meetings as well. I listen on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, the reason why I say that, Chief, is because in order for me to want to meet with a person individually, I have to really know that they're completely committed. They didn't have to have it all together, but at least they are committed because of the time that's involved, the efforts that's involved. It's all about that person getting served. And in order for me to want to serve that person, I have to be clear that they actually want to be served. They're willing to at least get through the prerequisites. And that's what, be committed, be on time, be a communicator. So yes, I certainly meet individually, but I love the group meetings. I love those the most because then you're in position to hear from different perspectives. And I tell people all the time, if you're only interested in being a part of a classroom setting with people that look like you and you only, you're gonna miss out. Oh, so this we whole, need this working together, working together, experiences, collaboration, all of that. Absolutely, you know, we need the different races. Now. We need the different yeah. races, the different cultures, the different experiences, so you can hear from other other perspectives. Uh, not only for the sake of growing. But some people actually discover that, you know what, man, maybe there is hope for me. I, didn't, I knew my situation was bad, but to hear this guy or to hear this lady's situation and she made it through or she's making it through, I could do this thing. And so to, to say the least, I can go on and on. Yeah. But yeah, the, the group education meetings is where it's at for me all day. Okay. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things we, I mean, one of the reasons why we do this is uh, in the name a way forward is to how do we create a better tomorrow for all people in our community? And so, you know, you don't have to watch the news very long or pay much attention before you realize we got a lot of challenges in society today, whether it's the criminal justice system with reentry, how do we ensure that when people are coming back to the community, there's a higher chance of being um, great parts of their uh, communities when they come back home, to rising crime, to poverty, to the things that are uh, that take place in some of our most impoverished, challenged communities. Mm -hmm. But how do we make tomorrow better for all those people? So with your personal experience, uh, growing up where you grew up in an uh, impoverished area in the projects in Missouri, um, to the professional work you do, what would you say are the some of the main things that us as a community, us as a society should be thinking about working on to actually accomplish tomorrow being, you know, better for all people? Mm, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. I love that way forward. I love that. That's very point blank to the point. And, and I thought about that even uh, since we had our conversation on yesterday. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of information that I can share. Uh, but one of the things I always try to stay away from is things that for the for the sake of fluff. Mm -hmm. And so what comes to me... We like is, to stay away from that, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it didn't work. You know, I remember <laughs> right. going in and hearing meetings and stuff, and I'll leave out in tears because it wasn't enough to sustain me right. to get me from one place to the next. 
But I, I want to share from a clinical perspective, if you Great. don't mind. Yes, absolutely. And out of the, all of the counseling theories, there's one in particular, and I'll translate this and everything so people understand our views and everything. But the trans-theoretical model, practically known as the five stages of change, I love this model. And what this does, Chief, is that no matter what person you meet, whatever setting it is, you will be able to, we can always identify, I can always identify what stage of change a person is in. And here are those five stages. And to your point, a way forward would be to identify these five stages of change, which stage of the five changes is a person in, and then I'll share how they can continue forward from one stage to the next. The first stage is the pre-contemplation stage. That's the stage where a person is just, at that point, is not convinced that they are where they are due to the contribution of their own decision making. So that'd be similar as they haven't hit rock bottom. They haven't, or they're in denial. Okay. 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 <laughs> you know, they're in denial. And I don't, and I don't make mockery of that. I, one right. of my approaches as a professional, as a person, is to be very non-judgmental because wherever a person is, they're there for a reason right. and they need help coming out of that. So their pre-contemplation stage is that stage where at least I can see where you are and there's a treatment modality in place for that to take them forward which is to the contemplation stage. Pre-contemplation to contemplation. That's the stage where they realize after meeting with me that you know what, okay, yeah, I can see now where I've made a left when I should have made a right, okay. or I can take some responsibility for my actions or my role or even my ignorance in a situation. So we have taken them forward from the pre-contemplation to the contemplation. And if a person's already in the contemplation stage, then we take them to the preparation stage. That's the stage where now it's made up in their mind, and we both know that stage alone can take some time. Right. It's a lot easier said and done to say, you know what, I got to get prepared. But there's so much involved in just getting prepared, and that's why when I talk about change, I don't really use the word change. I use the word experiment because when you talk about change, typically by default as human beings, when we talk about change, we think about all the things that's involved first before the change actually begins or takes place. So when I come from the approach of experiment, it's a lot easier to embrace. You can step one foot in and keep one foot out. You're just trying it out. And then if it works, you can cross over into it. It's a lot easier to engage. And so that preparation stage, at least at some point, they're ready. Their mind is made up. Uh, they can still be a little ambivalent, which means that they know it's going to take some work that they're not willing to quite commit to. But if they want to get to the other side, they got to put in the work. So that's the preparation stage and then the action stage. Now, the action stage can seem like, well, yeah, you know, of course. Well, there's a lot involved in that because sometimes, and I see this a lot, where people are doing a good job at the wrong things. <laughs> so they spend so much time, and a lot of times it's not their fault. That's why for us as service providers, we have to be trustworthy. You know, to be entrusted with God's most prized possession, which are people, is a big deal because you're talking about people's time, Sure. People are trusting you. And so when they're in that action stage, I don't want to lose them during that stage. I want to be able to meet them where they are, offer them solutions that are measurable. And then the final stage, which is the toughest one, is the maintenance stage. Out of all stages, that's the stage where people fall off the most. We're talking about a way forward. When you get to that, when people get to that maintenance stage, that doesn't mean it's the end now. Now they have to continue to maintain everything that they put all the work in 
to get to the place where they are eventually. Mm -hmm. But that's where people fall off at. They get complacent. They start to, you know, just kind of start wavering and taking things for granted. And next thing you know, they start to slide back down the pole again. And so those are ways to move forward clinically, so yet even as a community. Even as a community. Same. Even as a community, because that 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 model, that stage, that five stages of change, trans theoretical model, is applicable to anything where movement is inevitable or where success is in pursuit of. So that five stages of change is a model that I always work from and it always helps me to serve in the most highest level possible. Yeah, I think some of those early stages are probably some of our biggest challenges mm. in the community as a whole because, you know, I, I think there's some people that believe there isn't anything wrong like that community, that's, that's the way that community is and so it just can stay that way as long as I'm okay in mine. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, some of those early stages might be part of, we might still be stuck in them early stages as in any community across our, our country. So I don't want to uh, end today without talking a little bit about, you know, it's not too often that we have authors on here. And I know you've written a couple books. Maybe talk a little, uh, real quickly about the books you wrote and maybe more importantly, why you yeah. wrote these books. Well, you know, why I wrote these was a first initial opportunity for me to liberate, for me to for express. For you personally. Yes, for me to express, for me to explain. And so that kind of began that healing process for me, actually. I had no idea that it was actually going to be transcribed into an actual publication, but it gave me an opportunity to express. It's kind of like journaling. You know, we talk about that sure. as far as a treatment modality as well, or even therapeutic. Um, so I began to write books, and then next thing you know, I was at number seven, which takes me to this piece here. Um, I'm really excited about this particular piece, uh, Chief, more than any and of the others. And that's in this 24 Characteristics of a Mentor? Yes. The reason why is because that book is a compilation of my experiences with mentors. And one of the myths that I found about mentorship is that typically people believe when they hear the words like mentorship, they automatically think about kids and youth. Right. It's not incorrect, but it is incomplete. Because quite honestly, mentorship is more prevalent amongst adults. Amen, and Amen to that. Absolutely. When you look <laughs> at even the explanation of a mentor, it's a wise and trusted advisor. <laughs> right. And so how often are we in positions where we meet with other colleagues and we are, are able to get some type of advice or, you know, somebody that sure. we trust and some type of counsel. The smart ones do. The smart ones do. The wise ones do. <laughs> the wise ones yeah, do. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, the hard-headed ones, which I have been in my life, I don't need no help. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got th this. Those that, wanna, those that are in position of mentor must first be mentored. Right. And, and it's, it's all a part of the process, you know. And so there I'm presenting 24 characteristics and um, we're excited that that has now become uh, created into a training module. Uh, there's organizations reaching out to me to come in and offer the training uh, for some of their staff. Now, even though it, it talks about mentorship, but it's actually talking about just being a person of influence, which we all are to some degree. Whether we realize it or not, whether we accept it or not, uh, we are all offering some level of influence um, to some degree, to somebody. Yeah. And so the hope is that 
are Sometimes you don't even know. You don't even know. A lot of times you don't Most even of the know. times you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you this. I, I've, I've never heard you say you went to college for literature or some writing degree or you know, a master's and a doctorate in English or anything like that. That ain't no sound impressive. <laughs> I've never heard you say that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just yeah. curious. Uh, Maybe maybe you have all that and I just haven't heard. But, yeah. Uh, so, but now you're an author. I assume without all those things. Yeah. What, what made you think you could write books yeah. without, you know, maybe the traditional way? Of yeah. Yeah. First of all, I'm glad you brought that up because for a while I would shy away from it. Hope people wouldn't ask. I mean, years ago, but um, I just realized, and for me as a believer. I just became convinced in my relationship with Christ that, you know, when you're called, I mean, of course, it's more involved than just you being called. You got to put the work in. You got to sure. sharpen your access, I call it. You got to become educated. Whether you go get it or pursue it on your own, you have to consider, your, you have to become a credible source. And so, no, I don't have the, the impressive accolades, which they are impressive and sure. it'd be nice to have, but uh, it wasn't the route that, um, that I had gone for several reasons. But looking back on it, I'm grateful to have been the person that I have become through the means that I've become this person as. And um, so I just started writing with no idea that it was going to turn into an actual publication. And one of the things, to, same to your point, was what was it that gave me the inspiration? Well, I looked at the, re I looked the, at the response, the confidence. I looked, at the, I looked at the reaction. I looked at the response. That because people had when reading That people here. had towards what I did or what mm -hmm. I still do. Because it's one thing for us to say who we are or who we believe to be, but it's another thing when the people that we serve say or recognize or describe us as people that they see us as. Which I've recently heard you described as uh, Mr. or Dr. Inspiration by a certain person. Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. And I want to bring his name up, by the way. And, Bob, Absolutely. if you're watching, I'm going to talk about you. Love, Bob, you know. And this, that's Pastor Bob from Midtown. Pastor Bob from Midtown, absolutely. Uh, about 12 years ago, uh, maybe even 15, uh, Bob was w one of the lead administrators as well as pastors at Bayside of South Sacramento. And it was Bob Ballion, Sherwood, Bob Ballion, Sherwood Carthen, and I'm going to mention a few of the names I haven't talked to in a while, but I'm still going to mention their name because of the impact they had on me. Kyle Phillips. Um, so it was Bob, Kyle, and Sherwood. And I, was, I had never been exposed to anything like that in my life. The way these gentlemen handled things, Greg Perkins, I was able to take something from each of those individuals that I was able to compile. So somewhat of a mentorship. It, exactly what it was. And I was able to take all of that all of those experiences and, and present those through my idea in Kansas City. And from Bob, Bob was the guy in my world, very courageous, spoke his mind, articulate well, said what he meant, meant what he said. Sherwood was the guy that could be very, very passionate and not afraid to be being 6'8". Mm -hmm. He would larger preach to life. you yeah. larger than life, but yet you can see his emotions, Yes, you know. Kyle was a guy, straight up, in your face, look at the man in the mirror, what you see is what it is, let's deal with that. So together, together, they provided a lot. All of that, you know, and it took all of that, you know, and then Greg had the business acumen, and all those guys had a combination of, of, all, of the, all the other characteristics 
but those are things I took from them individually. And I never had a chance to tell them that. And so all of those things, I went back to Kansas City, and I, I, I believe whatever you're attracted to is what you yourself possess. And I was attracted to those characteristics. And I, I went back to Kansas City, and I created my own uh, programming out of it, and uh, was able to incorporate all of those experiences as well as that exposure mm -hmm. that I talked about earlier. And that's what is a huge contribution to the person I am today. So if somebody uh, wanted to get a copy of your book or books, or even explore possibly, possibly utilizing some of the services in regards to personal development that you provide, how, how would they go about that? How would they get in touch with you or how would they purchase a book? Dumasondemand.com, D-U-M-A-S-O-N-D-E-M-A-N-D, Dumasondemand.com. Uh, they can simply go there. There's all of my information. Uh, the website does an exceptional job of communicating uh, the products and services um, that I offer, and um, I'm easy to be contacted. Of course, social media outlets, but preferably the DumasOnDemand.com. Absolutely. All right. Well, hey, I really, really appreciate your time and sharing not only your personal experiences, but the work that you do in serving others, and I appreciate um, we need all the people to collaborate and serve mm. others that we can get. That's the, to me, that's the payment we pay for that being done for us. Ah, um, I like that. Uh, it, you know, in terms of mentorship, I mean, took me a while to get this, but you know, I look at all the mentors that poured into me from my mom to other people. And so like now that's my job that now I have those same positions to pour into other people. Um, so thank you uh, for your time, and uh, I would be remiss if I didn't end on this. You know, you're in California now. Yes. West Coast, I should say, since there's been some movement. So uh, it'll be my goal. Let to me brace myself here. To, it, it'd be my goal to transition you uh, from those Missouri uh, fandom <laughs> ways to transition to the Oakland slash Las Vegas Raiders and A's. So uh, that would be my. That would be my uh, assignment for myself for you to convert you to uh, to the royalty of, uh -oh. of our uh, sports world. So, uh, again, thank you for uh, your time. Thank you for what you do. And uh, I really encourage you to keep doing that because we uh, we need to help each other. We need to collaborate if we're going to move forward. And there's we need voices like yours and the people that believe in the collaboration to uh outweigh the divisive voices mm. that want to divide and separate and segregate uh, our communities because we can't thrive that way. So thank you again for your time. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Chief. One of the big purposes of A Way Forward is to hear different voices and different opinions because that is how we can make informed decisions ourselves. So if you are someone that would like to come on A Way Forward to express your opinion, go to chiefhan.com forward slash podcast. Chief, H-A-H-N dot com forward slash podcast.